Welcome to today's Triple Z. The Triple Z Podcast is a daily program that you can use to help you fall asleep each night. Just turn down the volume, lay back, relax, and enjoy as you fall asleep. The Pirate Shark is a thrilling adventure novel, part of the Boys Big Game series, first published in 1914. This series is known for its captivating stories revolving around young protagonists who engage in exciting and often perilous journeys, making it a favorite among young readers of the time. This particular installment tells the tale of a daring journey across the Pacific, featuring elements of exploration, treasure hunting, and the allure of the unknown. As the boys venture to Tringanu, a region in the Malay states, readers are immersed in an environment rich in unique cultures, breathtaking landscapes, and even the prospect of pirates and gold mining. The novel is attributed to the pseudonym Elliot Whitney. However, it's worth noting that the identity of the actual author remains unknown. The pen name Elliot Whitney was commonly used by various authors during the early 20th century, which makes it difficult to ascertain the true authorship of this specific book. Although some sources suggest a potential link to prolific author Henry James O'Brien Bedford Jones, concrete evidence to confirm this assertion is lacking. Despite this ambiguity in authorship, The Pirate Shark stands as a fascinating example of early 20th century boys' adventure fiction. Its vivid storytelling, attention to detail, and engaging narrative continue to offer insight into the period's literary style and themes. If you enjoy our program, please be sure to write us a review on your podcast platform and share us with a friend you both might sleep just a little better at night. Our website is triple Z, that's three Z's dot media. You can also like and share our content on Facebook or our Instagram account ZZZ Media Podcast. Music for today's episode was provided by the Sleep Channel on Spotify. Chapter 1 What's Tringanu? I don't care what your orders are. Captain Hollinger sent for me, and I'm going aboard or I'll know the reason why. Well, ain't you just heard the reason why, son? He ain't here, and orders is orders. There ain't no one coming aboard the Seamew, that's all. Nothing was said about any Mart Judson, kid. Then I guess your ears need tuning up. I'm coming aboard, see? You'll go overboard then. Well, if the kid ain't going to walk right up to me. Look out there, kid get off that gangplank in a hurry. Trouble was in the air. At the rail of the trim yacht, Simu launched Swanson, her burly first officer, pipe in mouth. He was evidently angry, for his heavy features were dark and lowering and his deep-set blue eyes glittered ominously. But the boy who faced him from the wharf was no less stirred up. 
Mark Judson looked a good deal more than his 17 years, for he had worked his own way in the world and his face had a serious air of responsibility. He wore a smudgy mechanics cap and greasy overalls, and from his keen gray eyes, determined mouth and chin, and straight black hair, an observer might have deduced that he could be a hard worker and a stubborn fighter if need were. Yet it was small wonder that Swanson had laughed at him. A boy mechanic asking for Stephen Hollinger personally, insisting that the millionaire had sent for him. Mart started obstinately up the gangplank and the mate laid his pipe on the rail, gave a hitch to his trousers and moved forward to repel boarders. Before he reached the open gangway, however, there came an interrupting shout from the deck. Hello, old Mart Judson. How are ye? A second later Mart found himself clasping hands with his friend, Bob Hollinger, better known as Holly, the son of the mining expert and millionaire who owned the yacht. It was a hearty greeting, in spite of the greasy, cheap clothes of the one and the carelessly costly dress of the other. The fact that Mark Judson worked for his living mattered nothing to Bob or to his father. The boys were the same age and had gone through high school together and the two were firm friends. Stephen Hollinger was an eccentric yet sensible old timer whose habits were rough and ready and who made Bob work for his pocket money most of the time. He had been working just at present, Mart noted, his fingers were ink-stained, his blue-eyed, freckled, careless face was smudged, and he seemed both dirty and happy. Mark glanced about in frank admiration at the white decks and evident luxury aboard the yacht. It was his first visit to the Seamew, for she was seldom used by her owner. Swanson moved off, grumbling. Mart sent a good-humored laugh after the discomfited mate and turned to his chum. What's on your mind, Holly? I had a mighty hard time getting away weary rushed up at the shop. Blurted out, cause I ain't got time for visitin' today. Some seamen had a scrap down at the Peniel Mission and I've got to get down there with some new bulbs and fixtures before dark. What's going on? You are, grinned Holly in delight. Say, Mart, I've got the best news you ever heard. See those boxes over there on the wharf? They're cabin stores for a cruise. And you're going along with us. Mart stared blankly at his friend. Bob was plainly in earnest for all that his blue eyes were dancing. Cut out the funny business. I've got to get back. Did you send that message or did your dad? Nothing doing on going back, laughed Bob, seizing his arm. Hold on, this isn't any pipe dream, old scout. Mother's gone east for a month. Dad's got to quit work, got indigestion or gastritis or some of those stomach things. So we're going across the Pacific. You're going along. Not me, 
ejaculated Mark quickly, wondering if his chum were crazy. I got to hold my job. I'll get a chance at a real wireless job in the spring, maybe. Well, and Bob shrugged his shoulders, if you'd sooner work in the shop for eight a week than be wireless men on the CMU at 40 a month and all found, you can. And if you like San Francisco better and the other side o' oh, the world, suit yourself. I ain't your boss, of course. The two stared at each other and slowly the reality of the thing grew in Mark Judson's brain. Yet it was impossible. He had his wireless license, but no one would employ him at his age. But Holly was plainly in dead earnest. Mark could only stare. Where are you going? He asked suddenly. Tringanu. What's Tringanu? Bob hesitated. Well, I'm not quite sure myself, he answered. Then his face brightened quickly. Here's dad coming now we'll ask him. It struck me kind o' oh, sudden too. Mart turned as a step sounded behind him and his hand met that of Stephen Hollinger. The millionaire was dressed roughly in serge and yachting cap for he was his own captain aboard the yacht. His strong, whimsical face lighted up in a smile at Mart's expression. So you got down, eh? Glad to see you. Bob told you about it yet? I just got here, replied Mart. If he wasn't joking, Mr. Hollinger Dash. Where's Tringanu, Dad? broke in Bob excitedly. Captain Hollinger for he assumed this title aboard the Simu looked at the two boys amusedly, then took each by an arm and propelled them toward the companionway. Come along to the cabin, I'll give you half an hour. You see, Mart, we've been so rushed that even Bob hasn't had time to get an explanation. I got doctor's orders two days ago to drop business and do it quick. So we came up from Pasadena, the yacht will be in commission in another day or so, and off we go to Tringanu. Five minutes later Mark Judson found himself at a big mahogany table, his chum opposite him while the captain got charts from another cabin. The luxury about him was astonishing, mahogany furnishings, walls, bookcases, a talking machine and a piano, electric lights and fans. Everything that could add to comfort or convenience was there and he was soon to find that the rest of the yacht was fitted up in like manner. Now began Captain Hollinger, returning with his maps and charts, maybe you know, Mart, that I'm something of a big game hunter, eh? I should guess, grinned Mart. Like everyone else in San Francisco, he knew that Stephen Hollinger was an enthusiastic sportsman. Indeed, mining and hunting were said to be his chief pleasures in life. Well, I'm going hunting. And I'm going here, Dash, he put his finger on the map as the two boys craned their necks over it. Tringanu is one of the Malay states, 
on the mainland of Asia. It's not exactly civilized, but I'm thinking of getting a mining concession there at a place I heard of. Here it is on this chart of the China Sea. About halfway up the coast of Tringanu, see? It's this bay and the lagoon where the river drains that big basin that ought to have gold. There are tigers in the hills, so I'm going over there on my vacation, maybe get a gold mining concession from the government, shoot a tiger or so, and come home happier, healthier, and wealthier. Isn't that a good program, Mart? You bet your life it is, cried the boy, his eyes shining eagerly. Golly! Say, was Bob talking turkey about my going? I guess he was, laughed the captain, looking at Bob. I told him I could use a wireless manhat to have one, in fact and he said you had your license. Got it two weeks ago, admitted Mart with some pride. It had cost him many hours of night work and study had that license as wireless operator. Then his face fell suddenly. I'm not old enough to take the job, though Dash. Shucks, that don't matter, broke in Holly. This isn't a Reglar job. No, assented his father. All you would have to do is to get market reports every few days and send some messages back. Look at these maps again, boys. Now, here's the place. I figure that we'll go to Honolulu, then hit straight for our goal. The river is named Kuala Basat, and we'll probably stay there a couple of weeks or more using divers. All the gold along there has to be dredged up, you see. While the diving is going on, we can run up country shooting. Who put you wise to the gold mine, Dad? inquired Bob curiously. Old Jerry Smith, a man who has spent all his life out there. He's going to sail with us. Now hush up for a minute, both of you. From Honolulu, we go direct to the Malay coast, cutting in through the Philippines without stopping. On the way back, we can do all the visiting we want to. There's the plan, boys. We'd like to have you go along, Mart, to take care of our wireless. Salary, 40 a month and all found. Of course you'd mess with us at the officer's mess and you boys could have great old times. How about it? I believe you are free to go, Mart. Plenty free, sir, nodded Mart. I've had no one to worry over me since mother died two years ago. Only it's an awful big thing for a fellow to make up his mind to right off the bat like this. These here Malay states aren't they pretty wild and woolly. I've got a notion that's where the pirates come from Dash. The financier broke into a laugh. Not today, Judson. Why, in Tringanant they make some of the best steel in the world, the natives, I mean. 
that's where those curly curses and Malay daggers come from. But the piracy is all over. Tringanoo isn't exactly civilized, I'll admit, but it's under British protection like all the rest of the Malay states. This place where we're going, Kuala Basat, is inside these islands here and Jerry Smith says that we can go right up the river in the yacht. Also, he says, it will be easy to take trips into the jungle with some of the native chiefs and bag a tiger or so. Who's this Jerry Smith? asked Mart. He's an old timer been beating around the Pacific most of his life. They say he used to be a pirate and blackbirder and that he can tell strange yarns if he will but that's all talk. He's just a quiet, white-haired old man. I've found from other sources that there'll be no trouble getting a concession on the place if there's any gold there. Now that's all I know about the thing. It's up to you, Mart. Well, grinned the gray-eyed boy, glancing at his friend, you needn't worry about me. If you really mean it, I'd pay you to take me along, sir. Not much, laughed the captain. It's the other way around, Mart. Well, we sail Monday morning. Old Jerry is getting a crew for us and he'll come aboard Sunday night with the men. You'd better quit work at the shop tonight, get our wireless in shape over tomorrow to pass the port inspectors and rest up Sunday. I'll detail Bob to help you he's been acting as supercargo up to date. Much obliged, grunted Bob sarcastically, how about an outfit? Will Mart have to get any clothes? Not on my ship. They'll come out of the slop chest. Oh, you needn't look that way, Mart, and the financier laughed at Mart's dismay. Slop chest is sailor's slang for ship's stores. Just fetch your ordinary clothes. Bob, you'd better get that stateroom next to yours fixed up then you boys can be together. Now, is there anything more you fellows want to know? Lots, shot out Mart with a sigh as he rose to his feet. I want to know so much that it makes my headache to think of it but I've got to get back and get these fixtures down to the penial before dark. I'll turn up in the morning ready for work. And, say, I'm sure grateful to you, Mr. or Captain Hollinger. And I'll do my best to earn my salary, you can be sure of Dash. Well, get along with you, broke in the financier, smiling. See you tomorrow. Bob walked up the wharf with his friend, and as they parted, Mart turned to him. By golly, Bob, he said slowly, I can't believe it. Say, won't we have one peach of a time, though? Suppose your dad will take us along after the tigers? Of course he will, agreed Holly, who had stout confidence in his father. We've got more rifles and guns coming down tomorrow than you can shake a stick at. 
and we'll go down in the diving suits, two dads promised that already. Well, so long. See you tomorrow. As Mark Judson walked up the street, he trod on air. It was like a dream come true. He would be crossing the Pacific, going to foreign lands, getting the very job he had been vainly longing for and getting paid for it all. I wonder if it's really true, he thought, staring with unseen eyes at the scenes around him. Blamed if it ain't too good to be true tiger shooting and diving and gold mines, oh, what's the use? I'm dreaming. Chapter 2 Jerry Smith, Quartermaster How's she coming? It's most noon, Mart. Ha! Oh, she's great. I can't find anything wrong except a little rust. I'll take a look at that transmitting jigger and send out a flash, I guess. What's the transmitting jigger? This the oscillation transformer. It transfers the primary circuit energy, which has low potential, to the aerial circuit where it reaches a mighty high potential at the free insulated end dash. Hey! What you think I am a walking encyclopedia? Broke in Bob indignantly. Cut out that high-flown talk with me, Mart, and get down to where I can collect on you. Going to send a message? Golly, no, returned Mart, busily adjusting his current. We have the port officers down on us in a jiffy. It's all right to pick up messages but to do any private monkey work by sending them is liable to get a fellow in bad. No, I'm just going to see that the sparkers work in right dash. Never mind a technical description, broke in Bob. Just go ahead and I'll be satisfied to watch. But when you get through, there's some stuff down in the cabin that you might like to look over. All right grunted the other, pressing down his key. The blue spark leaped out for a long moment, but Mart was careful not to break it, and with a satisfied nod, he threw off the current. The seamy's wireless, in spite of a year of disuse, was in splendid shape, like other merchant ship stations of modern type, it was almost perfect in its conveniences. The whole transmitting apparatus from the generator to the aerial tuning inductance was in a special silence cabinet. This not only kept the noise of the spark and generator down, but shut off all high tension apparatus from the operator. Mart explained this at some length to his chum. It's strictly foolproof, so I'll give you some lessons when we get out in the ocean, he grinned. We can send messages all we please there but not in port. Well, you come along down to the cabin, returned Bob ungraciously. He had no knowledge of things mechanical and no liking for them. His tastes ran to athletics and by careful cultivation of his body, he had made himself the physical equal, or nearly so, of Mark Judson, 
whose strength and alertness were entirely natural. Leaving the wireless house, which was on the upper bridge deck just abaft the chart house and signal locker, the two boys slid down the ladders to the lower deck. Cases of provisions and supplies were being slung down the forehold by the steam winch, and except for the two mates and a couple of wharf hands, no one was in sight. The engine room crew was aboard, together with the Chinese steward, but the crew of a dozen men would not come aboard until the next night. Indeed, the principal use for a crew aboard the Simu was to keep the brasswork polished and the decks holy stoned, it seemed to Mart. Everything was done by steam power, while the wheelhouse had a helm, the steam steering gear was used entirely, the anchor was worked by steam, and the boats and launch carried on the bridge deck could be swung out by the same power. What's waiting for us? queried Mart as they turned to the after companionway leading to the cabins. You come along and see, returned Bob Hollinger mysteriously. Dad's gone uptown, so we got the craft to ourselves right now. Mart followed his friend down into the cabin, then stopped suddenly and caught his breath. A big mahogany chest stood open at one side, and on the table was laid out an astonishing array of hunting supplies. There were guns of every conceivable size and shape, it seemed to him. He picked up the first to hand and examined it, while Bob excitedly explained. That's a Manlicher Schoner. It's Dad's favorite for big game, Mart. Ha! Huh, exclaimed Mart critically. She ain't much bigger than the old 22 I used to have, Holly. I'll eat all the big game your dad ever shoots with that gun. Don't you believe it? That's the Austrian army gun. She's a 256 caliber cordite, hasn't any kick to speak of, and they use it on elephants in Africa. Why? She'll kill at a mile, Mart. Meb and Mart doubtfully laid the weapon down. You'll have to show me first, though. Phew! This looks like a regular hardware shop. That's a beaut of a shotgun. While it hardly seemed possible that the Austrian gun could be all Bob said, Mart knew that his chum was well posted. However, there were guns of all sizes and kinds, from target rifles to heavy 20-gauge Parker shotguns, as well as four ugly-looking automatic pistols. Besides these, there were half a dozen long hunting knives, bandoliers, belts, and other articles of equipment. Dad sent down his whole outfit, explained Bob gleefully. We're likely to get a chance for some fine shooting on the voyage. But say... Come in here a minute. This'll make you sit up, sure. He hastily led his chum into the smoking room beyond. A large packing case stood on the floor, and on the table was a small but complete moving picture machine, at sight of which Mart gave a yell of delight. By golly, he cried, examining it. It's one o' those English things, 
Holly, I was reading about it last week. You take him around with you and why? She's a wonder. No bigger than a camera either. In fact, the whole machine was no larger than a good-sized camera, and Mark decided on the spot that he would be moving picture operator. It was Captain Hollinger's intention to take pictures of Kuala Basat, of his prospective gold concession, of the whole vicinity, and of his tiger hunts if possible, and the two boys were wild over the prospect. Suddenly, Mart turned as a quiet voice broke in from behind. Mum, beg pardon, gentlemen. A stoop-shouldered, gentle-faced old man stood in the doorway, cap in hand. He had very watery blue eyes, his expression was mild in the extreme, and long white hair fell on his shoulders, but for his tanned, leathery skin, Mart would have taken him for an old clerk in a bank. Yes, inquired Bob. You wanted someone here? Why, I was looking for the captain, said the old man. His voice was soft, but carried far. My name's Smith, Jerry Smith, quartermaster. Oh, you're the Jerry Smith that's to sail with us. Bob spoke in no little astonishment for the old man looked anything but a tarry sailor. Why, Dad's gone uptown for the afternoon, Mr. Smith. I'm Bob Hollinger, and this is Mart Judson, who goes with us. Pleased, gentlemen, and the other jerked his head slightly, gazing around with mild interest. That's a sight, oh hardware, here in the main cabin. My stars. Is the captain going to shoot all those weapons, young sir? Well, he hopes to, grinned Mart easily, shoving back the mop of black hair from his brow. Going to take moving pictures, too. I'm the wireless operator. Eh? Jerry Smith looked astonished. Why, young sir? That is surprising. I did not know we, we were going to have a wireless operator. His watery eyes blinked a little and his soft voice dropped to a deeper tone. Well, well. And I was just about your age, I imagine, when I first put to sea. Mart hoped for a moment that the old man was going to spin a yarn, but instead he only heaved a sigh and mopped at his nose with a huge bandana. Well, he said to Bob, I'm sorry to miss your father, young sir. And would you please to tell him that the crew'll come aboard tomorrow night and that I'll be aboard afore then with the papers? I'll have to sign on as quartermaster, you know and the captain dash. Eh? Bob struck in with a frown. Why, you're going as a guest, Mr. Smith. Dad doesn't want you to sign on at all. Just Jerry, if you please, the old man smiled quietly. Jerry is my handle, young sirs, just Jerry. About signing on, now. 
I've never put to sea yet, young sirs, but what I've been entered shook shape in Bristol fashion, and I'm not going to start wrong at this time all life. I want to be on the ship's articles as quartermaster, that's all that's all. I got my discharges all proper, and if we should lose an officer, I've got a first officer's ticket. I don't want any wages, young sirs, but I want to be signed on all shipshape. It'll make me feel a sight better. You'll tell the captain that? Why, sure, returned Bob heartily. And I'm glad to meet you, Jerry. You'd better keep in mind that I'm Bob, or Holly either one hits the right spot and I don't like that young sir business. Normie, put in the gray-eyed boy, stepping forward with his hand out. I'm plain Mart, without any Mr. Either, Jerry, and I'm glad to meet up with you. The three shook hands. Mart noted that old Jerry had a very strong chin and a tight-lipped mouth for all his gentle appearance and his hands were very gnarled and knotted. His dress was old and weather-stained but had nothing of the sailor in it. Mart had seen enough of sailors along the waterfront, however, to know that clothes do not count in such cases. With a final duck of his head, Jerry Smith turned and shuffled away. Well, what do you think Oh, that? Bob stared at his chum as the stoop-shouldered figure vanished up the companion. Pirate! Say, do you reckon he ever saw a pirate ship? I guess Dad has things twisted about him, eh? I'm not so sure, returned Mart slowly, thinking of that firm chin and knotted hand. I'm not so sure, Holly. You can't go by what you read in books, always. Sure, I know he's a nice old fellow, but he's a queer fish just the same. And as for being a pirate, there's that man Morris, who's working on the Tribune now as city editor. He's as quiet and nice as you ever see him, but they say he's been all kinds of things. That shows you, Holly that you can't go by looks. Anyhow, I guess he's reformed by now, stated Bob decisively. And pirating is out of date these days. He's only an interesting character, as the books say. He sure is, agreed Mart promptly. Say, Holly, we're going to have a whopper of a time in the next month or so, ain't we? Bob grinned happily. You're dead right, old boy. Say, it's noon dash. By golly, that's right. When do we eat? I'm some empty. Right now. Ah Singh has the grub ready, I guess. Hike along, you pirate and Mart hiked with a wide grin. Chapter 3 Off for Tringanu It was Sunday afternoon. Joe Swanson and the second mate 
Liverpool Peters had departed that morning to enjoy their last few hours on shore. Captain Hollinger, Mart, and Bob were alone on board, save for the steward, and the three were sitting around a big pitcher of lemonade under the after-deck awnings. The financier yachtsman was enthusiastically outlining his plans for sport during his trip. We're going to have a great time, boys, he exclaimed heartily. I've got everything on board you can think of, from tackle for sharks to dynamite. Ha! Dynamite? asked Mark quickly. What's that for, Captain? I don't know, returned the Captain coolly. The two boys stared. What you don't know? asked Bob in surprise. His father laughed. No. I put it aboard at the suggestion of old Jerry Smith. He said we might have need for it during the diving operations and I simply took his advice. He's pretty well posted on everything out in that section of the world and promises me some exciting sport shooting tigers. I thought tigers were found only in India, put in Mart, puzzled. That's where they usually shoot them, isn't it? No, said the captain, leaning back and lighting his cigar. No, Mart, you're off there. You'll find tigers all through the Malay states and up into China proper I believe they've even been found in parts of Japan. We're going to have some great shooting, boys. And while I'm off with you in the jungle, or hills for I'm not sure which will find old Jerry can be managing the diving and dredging operations at the other end without bothering me till the work's ready for inspection. What's Jerry getting out o oh, this? queried Mart thoughtfully. Oh, I'm to allow him one third of the stock. Our consul at Singapore is already getting us the concession and Jerry has letters from the Sultan of Tringanu to all the native chiefs. What are they like, Dad? Bob sat up. The letters, I mean. They're written in Arabic, laughed his father. There are a good many Arabs out in that part of the world and I suppose Arabic is the usual written language, or rather, the Malays use the Arabic characters. They're all Mohammedans, anyway. Can't we take a squint at those diving outfits? Mart looked out at the sparkling waters of the bay and sighed. Oh, I'd give most anything to go down and really get underneath the ocean. Where are the outfits? Captain. Boxed up in the hold, Judson. There's no chance of our using them till after we get to Tringanu. Swanson knows a good deal about diving and Jerry Smith promised to pick up a couple of men who were used to it, so we'll be all right there. Oh! Mart suddenly sat up and squared around in his seat. Am I under Swanson's orders? Captain? Nominally, yes, as a member of the crew. But in actual fact, no. Why? 
The boy's face was troubled and he hesitated an instant. Nothing much, he said at last, his gray eyes suddenly hard and cold. Only, I had an argument with Swanson Friday and by something he said yesterday I wondered if I was under him. I guess not, cried Bob indignantly. You're an officer and you're under no one but the captain who is dad. That's right, Mart, nodded Captain Hollinger. You take your orders from me and that's all. Hello, there's Swanson now. The boys looked up to see the burly mate coming along the dock. Without heeding them, he crossed the gangplank and went forward, doubtless to remove his sure clothes in order to prepare for the night's work. Captain Hollinger had heard the message left by Jerry Smith saying that the old man could sign articles and draw wages if he liked. It looked to Mart as though the old seaman was cranky and wanted to have things just so, in which opinion Bob agreed, but as Jerry was to all intents a partner in the expedition, it mattered little. The sun was just going down and the boys were looking for the last time on the hills of San Francisco when Swanson came along the deck and touched his hat to the captain in a hesitant fashion. Mr. Hollinger, who was no mere amateur sailor, nodded. Yes, Mr. Swanson? Mr. Peters come aboard yet? Not yet, sir. Swanson hesitated again. I, I wanted to ask you something, sir, Manny, no offense. Yesterday morning, sir, there was a little round-shouldered man come aboard gray hair he had and dash. You mean old Jerry Smith? asked Captain Hollinger. Somehow both he and the boys always thought of the man as old Jerry. Yes, sir, that's him. If I might ask, sir, is he a going to ship aboard us? Why, he was going as passenger, Mr. Swanson, but seems to have changed his mind. Yes, he'll sign articles as quartermaster. Why, do you know him? No, sir, not rightly, and the mate shuffled awkwardly. He ain't said to be a lucky shipmate, Captain. They tell queer yarns about him, I've heard say as he was off his head a bit. Is he the one what's bringing the crew abroad, sir? Yes, why? This talk is all nonsense, Swanson. Smith is as sound in his head as you or I, and he certainly knows the sea. Yes. Sir, agreed the mate quickly a little too quickly, thought Mart, who was watching him keenly. Yes, sir. He does that. And he'll bring a crew, Captain Hollinger, as'll take Handlin. I was thinking, sir, that meb we'd have quite a ruction tonight, Dash. The financier laughed. He, as well as the boys, saw now what was on the mate's mind. Swanson believed that old Jerry would pick up a scoundrelly crew 
most of them drunk when they came aboard, and that the millionaire might get drawn into a fight with them. Much as he disliked the big mate, Mart gave him credit for being true to his salt, as indeed he was. Look here, smiled the captain, getting to his feet and facing the mate, who was an inch shorter than he. I wouldn't be captain of this yacht unless I could take care of myself, Mr. Swanson. If you doubt it, I'll put on the gloves with you now. Swanson grinned. No, sir, not me. I'm satisfied if you are, Captain Hollinger. I just wanted to ease off steam a bit, Dash. I understand, laughed the financier. But I guess you and Peters can handle the crew right enough. Now, you come down and mess with us, and Mr. Peters can take the deck when he comes. All four descended into the mess cabin as Ah Sing rang the bell, and during the meal Mart revised his opinion of the mate to some extent. He saw that Swanson did not like him because he considered the wireless job a sinecure and wanted to keep all the crew hard at work all the time. It was the usage of the sea and the big mate himself was blunt and well-meaning. But Mart Judson had no mind to be ordered about by anyone and he determined that if Swanson tried it, the mate would find out something. Peters, the second mate, came aboard before dark and put the engine room crew to work so that after mess the boys went on deck to find steam up and the lines ready to be flung off at a moment's notice. By 10 o'clock no crew had come aboard, however, and Captain Hollinger finally ordered the boys to their cabins in order to get to sleep early. Holly, said Mart softly when they had left the main cabin. You going to bed? Ha! With a scrap due to arrive? Not much. Me neither. Let's get up in the bow. So, treading very softly, they made their way to the bow and crouched there as comfortably as possible. Hardly fifteen minutes had passed when there came a tramp of feet from the wharf and a confused murmur of voices. Looking down the deck, by the gangway light, the two boys could see Captain Hollinger and Liverpool Peters waiting. Swanson had disappeared, as it was his watch below. The noise of feet swelled up into a steady stamping, then, as Martin Bob got to the rail and looked over, they made out the figures of eight or ten men in the dim glow from the gangway. But, to their great disappointment, there was no fight whatever, and neither did any of the new arrivals seem to be intoxicated. Instead, all halted at sight of the two waiting officers, and the boys saw the stoop-shouldered Jerry Smith come forward and touch his hat. We've come aboard, sir, all shipshape and Bristol fashion. Very good, quartermaster, replied Captain Hollinger briskly. Mr. Peters, if you'll see that these men sign articles, we'll be off at the turn of the tide. I'd better come with you while you send someone after Mr. Swanson. We'll want all hands, Dash. 
On deck, sir, came the voice of Swanson, and Mart looked aft to see the burly mate come to the gangway. Captain Hollinger nodded and led the way below, followed by the first mate and the crew, all of whom seemed to be decent-looking fellows, and far from what Swanson had so gloomily predicted. But, as they vanished, the boys saw the stoop-shouldered figure of Jerry Smith stop abruptly by the gangway, then came Swanson's voice once more, aggressive and heavy. Look at here, Shark Smith. I don't know what your game is aboard this craft, but you lay a fair course or I'll trim you. Savvy that? This ain't the old Coralie, not by a long shot. I'm working honest now, and you ain't going to get me from behind neither, like you got poor Bucko Tom. Mart, watching in wild astonishment, saw old Jerry crouch abjectly. Then with the mate's final words, the old man straightened up as if in accusation. His white hair shone dimly in the light. You're right, Joe Swanson, you're right, he said in his quiet voice that carried clearly and distinctly to the boys at the forward rail. But if it was me as got Bucko Tong, who was it got the officers of the Melbourne, eh? No, no, Joe Swanson. I'm a new man now, and let's forget the past. Fish tell no tales, Joe, fish tell no tales. I'm an old man, but I'm quartermaster o' this packet. I'm an old man, but I'm a new man inside Dash. And turning abruptly, muttering as if he was actually out of his head, old Jerry Smith shuffled to the companionway and vanished. For a moment Swanson stared after him as if in surprise, then Mart felt his chum's hand on his arm. Better get out oh here, Mart. They'll be sending the men forward pretty soon. You're right, Mart cautiously led the way aft as Swanson began ascending the ladder to the bridge deck. When he had vanished, the two boys hurriedly gained their own staterooms and Bob stopped with Mart for a short chat. What do you reckon those old fellows meant? asked Mart, rumpling his black hair in perplexity. Think they knew each other before this? Looks like it, agreed Bob thoughtfully, his blue eyes narrowed. What did they mean by getting Bucko Tom and the Melbourne officers? Do you suppose Dash? Pirates, cried Mart excitedly and dropped his voice. They were pirates together on a ship called the Coralie. Bet you a dollar on it. Then we're off to sea with a couple o' pirates aboard, responded Bob as they heard shouted orders above and the engines began to throb. Shucks forget it, Mart will wake up plumb out of sight o' land. We're off hooray for Tringanoo. And the Seamew had begun her long voyage. <laughs>